HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. Hello, welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Aki Katema, a food writer, the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen zakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. My guest today is Shinobu Kato, who is the owner and brewer of New York's own craft sake brewery, Kato Sake Works, in Brooklyn, which opened in 2020, uh, right before the pandemic. And he joined us in episode 189 to discuss his new brewery and the fascinating story of how his well-established corporate career transformed into entrepreneurial sake brewing in New York. And COVID-19 hit his burgeoning business extremely hard, but Shinobu turned the challenges into opportunities to carefully solidify his customer base. And Shinobu is here today to celebrate the successful expansion of his new business. And his new and larger brewery officially opened earlier this month on October 1st, 2023. So today we'll discuss how Shinobu successfully navigated COVID-19, his philosophy of sake making, why sake is appealing to a wide American audience, including cool young generations in Brooklyn neighborhoods, and much, much more. But before we start, Japan News is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write to Abby. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start our conversation with Shinobu Kato. Hello, Shinobu. Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Akiko-san. So, uh, congratulations, first of all. And uh, for listeners who have not listened to episode 189, tell us your background, uh, like where you're from, your highly successful corporate career before becoming a sake brewer, and why you decided to make a sake commercially, and, and so forth. All right. So your introduction sounded very great. So, you know, uh, maybe more or better than what my 
real story is. But, <laughs> I don't think so. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so yes, uh, I was in the corporate side for a long time. So oh, back in Tokyo, where I started my uh, professional career, I worked for you know company as a salary man, and then came to the U.S. Uh, 2024 for the grad school, or and then after that, I got a job in uh, automotive manufacturing. So I was doing the IT for the you know automotive in probably close to 10 years. Uh, and then during that time, I started home brewing at home. Uh, and uh, that was the beginning of my sloppy slope on the sake brewer. Mm. Wait, so where were you when you started sake brewing? I was in Nashville, Tennessee, so I lived there for close to 10 years, and then I had a little bit bigger kitchen than my current kitchen in New York, so I, you know, all, around that time, all my friends started brewing either beer or wine, and uh, always I had a problem having the access to a decent quality sake in a quantity, so I was like, okay, maybe everybody's making something so I can make sake. So you opened with Kato Sake Works in Bushwick, Brooklyn, in New York, um, in 2020. So what is the concept of Kato Sake Works and what is your mission? <laughs> I, I didn't have any mission. I just started making sake for myself and for my <laughs> friends. So that was the starting point. You know, I started this as a, out of necessity, but, you know, oh, I've been always having a problem of uh, the access to a good sake. So I was like, okay, this might be a solution. Uh, but as I uh, opened the space in Bushwick, uh, what I had in my mind was I wanted to be a local sake producer that uh, people genuinely enjoy. So when I say local, oh, I'm... I'm a, uh, you know, the Bushwick is my hometown now. So I wanted to be a local business in Bushwick, but at the same time, my route is in Tokyo. So whatever I do, I do have a, a reference to my background. Oh, so when I say like a locally enjoyed or sake, I wanted to make something that is true to my, you know, native culture. But at the same time, people here in Bushwick can genuinely enjoy, not because it's something Japanese, but just because it's a good local business. So that was my goal. Mm, right. So it sounds like you have a good product that you can enjoy and you want to share it locally. And uh, in the end, you share uh, the value of this Japanese precious beverage called sake. That's what I want to put. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, and as your sake business just started to take off, uh, COVID-19 hit the world. So on reflection, how did the pandemic impact your business? Uh, probably you had pluses and minuses. Yeah, so it, you know, it shaked our business like almost upside down because we had a soft opening uh right before, right a week before the shutdown. And then everything that we planned, like grand opening and, and all those things needs to be uh, completely re 
visited, right? Oh, uh, well, that was a negative side. While, uh, you know, we were considered as an essential business, so we were allowed to continue operating uh, even, you know, behind the closed door. So that was good because I was so worried that we may need to fully shut down the business, but that was not the case. And uh, looking back, uh, initially, I was thinking that, hey, sake is Japanese and the typical, you know, occasion that you enjoy sake is like sushi restaurant or makase, something like that. So that might be our first step to approach, like, okay, go to Manhattan, go to, you know, sushi or makase restaurant, and then ask them to carry our sake. That was a very vague business plan that we had. Well, COVID prevented us for doing anything like that. But at the same time, you know, we had a lot of supports from the local community. And that's what you did during the COVID that you found the local business and you really wanted to support them. So you just worked for like two blocks and then helped them because you were not able to, to get onto the subway. Right. So we had so many uh, that kind of connections and that helped us to think that, oh, we have much deeper uh, market uh, in the much closer proximity. And then since then, uh, we pivoted more kind of focusing on the local community uh, than like a little bit bigger New York City market. And uh, that probably helped us to survive the COVID. Mm, right. Yeah, remember that uh, the last uh, going out opportunity for me before COVID was a two tasting room. And I, I stopped by after recording. And yes. I, yeah, I visited your place. And after um, understanding of this whole, um, the huge impact of the pandemic, I, I was concerned how you're going to survive, but you beautifully managed to survive. So, yeah, so, and it sounds like you really created the local uh, community of fans. And uh, I think it's going to be a very valuable uh, foundation of your business. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so glad to hear it. All right, so we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll discuss Shinobu's newly expanded brewery in a cool neighborhood. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant from French to Pan Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and the rarest natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese Broadcasting Live in Brooklyn, uh, New York. I'm your host, Aiki Katayama, and my guest today is Shinobu Kato, who is the owner and brewer of New York's own craft sake brewery, Kato Sake Works, which opened in 2020, right before the pandemic. 
he is here today to celebrate the successful expansion of his business. His new and larger brewery officially opened earlier this month on October 1st, 2023. So let's talk about your new brewery. Uh, first sure. of all, congratulations on the successful, very successful expansion of your second brewery. Uh, so where is the new brewery located and what kind of neighborhood is it? Sure. So our new space uh, is located 15 minutes from our older space. So still in Bushwick. Uh, the original location was on Morgan Stop on L Train, while new, new, new space is on Jefferson, st- still on the same L Train. So it's just one subway stops away from Manhattan. Mm, right. And uh, so most of us, probably our listeners, have no idea what kind of neighborhood Jefferson is now, especially even compared to a couple of years ago. Jefferson is a new place. So can you describe the neighborhood? Yeah, uh, I, I know my explanation doesn't help much, but the Jefferson or Bushwick neighborhood that I live in and in our Blue Alley is reminds me of my whole hometown in Tokyo called Koenji. So it's a very uh, like a mix, mixture of old residential and commercial and industrial and art community. So there's a lot of like graffitis and a small thrift stores and a music venues tucked into uh, old uh, local delis and bodegas and restaurants. Uh, so I, I really like, I live in this area for six, seven years now. And, uh, you know, when I walk around, I know most of the businesses and then they know us. And uh, it's a very... Uh, you know, warm micro-community in a big city. Mm, right. And then, um, so when I visited you uh, to celebrate the opening, <laughs> it was amazing. It was a weekend. And there, the street was very, very um, busy and yeah. filled with young, uh, you know, beautiful-looking, fashionable people. And then... I couldn't recognize it. It was not the Jefferson I knew. Uh, so do you know how it was transformed that much in recent years? Yeah, I remember because when I moved to Bushwick like six, seven years ago, Jefferson was not that busy. You know, uh, Artichoke Pizza on the corner and the KCBC, uh, the Bia Bluali. Uh, but not much else. And uh, now, especially on the weekends and uh, weekends night, it's a kind of destination for younger generation to go out on a party. So that that's great. <laughs> mm, right. Like uh, there's a whole sequence of clothing lines and, you know, the, the secondhand shops, beautiful shops, and with a cafe in the corner. And, uh, yeah, it, it is a destination. I was really uh, pleasantly surprised. So, okay, and um, how did you find the location? <laughs> Actually, not it was not easy, right? Yeah, uh, it took six months or more for us to find the right uh, property. Uh, but it was just by chance that uh, we exhausted all the list of the vacant spots in the neighborhood and we are like okay we cannot find any anymore and then uh my real estate uh, agent just called me like hey shinobu 
do you know the case, the Biabloli KCBC? There's a spot just opened right next to it. You should come right now. So I went there. I met the landlord, and then I was almost like, okay, I, I can sign this place right now. Mm, sounds like a destiny. And uh, I heard that location used to be uh, furniture, custom furniture. Yes. Yeah. So they were making a uh, custom built furniture for the like a penthouse in Manhattan or something like that. Uh, so it has a lot of like wood dust, sawdust, and then you know grease and then those kind of things. But now fully renovated uh, as a blue alley. Mm-hmm. Right. And of course, it's a high ceiling. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> For the location, right? Okay, and uh, so how much more production capacity do you have at the new location compared to the original one? <laughs> the original one was very, very small, or uh, and uh, we uh, the new batch size is six times bigger than the old space, so we can uh, make six times more sake. And then also we added one more tank, so eventually I think we can go up to ten times more than what we did in the original space. But that be, that sounds like big, but actually the original location was very small, so it's not <laughs> that big though. Mm, right. Okay. So uh, it's been a long, <laughs> very long and deep three-year period since you opened the brewery in 2020. So what's your psyche-making philosophy now? And has anything changed since 2020? Not really. We've been focusing on making sake uh, more like textbook sake. So, you know, sake has like thousand years of history and uh, all the techniques has been developed and then tested. While what we are doing here is still kind of following the same method and the same, you know, same descriptions on the textbook. But it's hard to follow the textbook sometimes, you know, given the factors like temperature, humidity, you know, all the things that can change as we go. And uh, we are not there yet to feel that we have perfected our basic uh, sake brewing method. So we are still following textbook as much as was we can. Uh, that being said, you know, it's fun to do some creative stuff here and there. So whenever we have time or extra resources, we try to do things. But at the same time, we are still kind of in a process to perfect the, the basic model. Mm, right. I mean, it, <laughs> it sounds easy, but do you, there are only four ingredients for sake and then everything except for Meiji Koji uh, mold, you, everything is different, right? And also yes. the climate uh, to adjust all those fermentation and the production. Um, so I think you are really challenging yourself very hard and it's been very successful. Thank you. So, yeah. And so let's talk about you ha- uh, your product. So you have a much uh, bigger, well-equipped new brewery, but you uh, continue making the same? Yes. Uh, yeah. Right now, oh, we have uh, three flagship pro- products, Jumai, Nigori, and Nama. And then also we have uh, Yuzu, lemon-infused Yuzu, and uh, we have Milin. Uh, and we have some other things here and there, but we have not added anything completely new 
from the old brewery yard. So right now we are focusing on recreating everything that we used to create in a little bit bigger scale. And then again, the size, you know, size matters. And then always there's a challenge as to how to scale. Oh, but once we bring everything back here, then that's when we can expand our product portfolio. Mm, right. Okay. So let's discuss each uh, of your product, your flagship products, uh, Nama, Junmai, and Nigori. Can you go through each sure. one of them? Yeah. So Junmai is a good one to start with. So it's a standard uh, product that is uh, filtered and pasteurized. Uh, it's crisp and uh, fruity floral, oh, but not that sweet. Uh, and then compared to like a typical sake in the market, our sake is a little bit bolder or like heavier in the body. And then Nigoli is a unfiltered or like coarsely filtered version of Junmai. Oh, so it has a creamier texture and a little bit of richness oh, that kind of pairs well with like a spicy food. And then we do have a Nama, which one is unpasteurized. So most of the sake in the market are pasteurized to make them shelf stable, while this one is untreated. So it has a little more uh, brighter, uh, louder, noisier character. Uh, and the people, people like it. Uh, also, I think this one is a good one for the winter sake. Mm, right. Um, well, my impression uh, was that all of your sake uh, are very kind of approachable. I can always enjoy anytime and uh, almost any kind of food, but it has a very clean, balanced acidity. Mm. And uh, I think which makes your sake casual yet elegant at mm. the same time. So I think that's why uh, you have a lot of, um, you know, younger audience who are not totally the sake connoisseur. And it's just so fun and mm. uh, refreshing to drink. So, yeah, I look forward to more variations um, in the future, but no yeah, rush. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. And uh, another thing, um, I mean, listeners who, who want to know more about um, Shinobu Sake, you can just go our website, katosakeworks.com, and uh, our sake section. So you have a description, and each one, each sake has a description of sounds like. And uh, so, for example, Nama sounds like a tambourine, Junmai like keyboard riffs, and Nigori like power bars. So what's the idea of uh, the sound associated with the sake? Yeah, that's a, that started as a joke, uh, but uh, when I was making the first label, I wanted to put the tasting notes in the bag, like same way that any wine bottles have one. Uh, so I, I spoke with somebody who used to work at the Brooklyn Brewery, and he was a marketing guy, did all the backside of the Brooklyn Brewery beer cans. And at the same time, he was a musician. So while he was, you know, we, we are doing together with tasting notes or while eating Roberta's pizzas, or he started writing down that, by the way, this sounds like, you know, or tumbling or keyboard riffs or something like that. And uh, I liked it. The reason that I liked it is, for one, it's very personal. So when you read the label saying that this sounds like tumbling, there's no like right or wrong answer. 
right? But you kind of guess it, and you can picture the scenery that you are drinking that sake. And I want my customers to approach the tasting note in the same way, because even though we put the tasting note saying that, hey, this sake tastes like lychee and green apple, that's not like a right or wrong answer. And then that's sometimes uh, intimidating our customers. Like when we ask them, hey, what do you taste? They try to find the right answer, not like their answer. Mm. And then I believe that, you know, sake, the en- how to enjoy sake and how to taste sake is very personal, depending on your background, culture, what kind of food you grew up with and what you ate this morning. Uh, and then those tasting notes that we wrote were just, you know, our experience. And uh, sounds like kind of uh, exemplify that, hey, this it's okay to come up with something that you just came to your mind. And then mm. the second answer is all, all of, almost all our team members are musicians except me. So <laughs> they love this exercise very much. They take this exercise very seriously. Mm, right, that's fun. You know, like mm. uh, that made me think actually, and uh, when yeah. I tasted it, and uh, yeah, so my it's, it's not a tambourine, it's a drum, whatever. It's a good conversation starter too, maybe. Exactly. Right. Okay. And uh, so um, it's another element of rice, which is ingredient. Uh, so you've been using Carlos rice yes. since the beginning of your sake business. So um, and now Carlos is. Uh, has become the mainstream rice used to produce craft sake in America. I think it's a fair statement. Yeah. So, first of all, what is Carlos rice and what is the history of the rice? Yeah, so Carlos is a medium grain rice that wild widely available in the United States. So, it's not like a sake-specific rice, but it's more like uh, eating rice. So, chances are that if you go to like Asian grocery stores and then buy a like sushi rice, probably that's a Carlos rice. Uh, I think the history is uh, the Carlos is a hybrid uh, between the Japanese native short grain rice that first wave of immigrants came to the United States brought with them in California. And then, you know, they came probably before the gold rush or, you know, like 100 years ago. They brought rice, they tried to grow rice because that's what they ate, but, you know, climate didn't match. And then eventually uh, somebody in California came up with a way to grow a hybrid using the short grain uh, Japanese rice with a long grain uh, South Carolina native, uh, like American rice. And then now it's a, a most widely available like eating rice and then I like that history because that's that's a history of how uh, the Japanese immigrants came to the US and you know rejected and then accepted and then now you know everybody eats sushi and ramen kind of thing you know like California roll kind of story and I want our sake to be like that so it's not like Japan it's not the United States but it's the like you know the two two cultures coming together kind of thing, and then Carlos is a, a like a symbol of that history. So I want to make a good sake using that rice. Mm, 
Right. I think、uh, your style of sake making and your own history is representing the same、mm-hmm. kind of idea already. So,、um, but you know, as、um, an ingredient, why do you prefer、uh, using Carlos rice? Other than price. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, but this is widely available rice. And then I think it goes back to our philosophy that I want to make、uh, approachable sake in a consistent way. And、uh, approachable and consistent are two important things. And、uh, of course, you know, we can use、uh, expensive rice、uh, to make like one of masterpieces of sake, but that's not neither approachable or, you know, or sustainable or consistent. So, first, all we wanted to come up with a flagship product using the most Available rice possible in the United States. And once we can master that, I think after that we have a room to play around with other ingredients. But that was like our first step.、Mm, right. And the more exciting thing is that、uh, there are more、uh, Japanese traditional sake rice grown in America and more available. So, yeah, I'm sure、um, there are more opportunities for brewers like you and anybody else. But again, it's、uh, now there's Yamada Nishiki, which is also the king of sake rice, and、uh, it's grown in Arkansas and probably other places. So it is exciting. And、yes. um, yeah, so are you interested in any specific、uh, variety of rice if it's grown here, like omachi or? Yeah, definitely. I'm, yeah, I, I like omachi. I like sake made with omachi. So I, I'd love to try that. And、uh, also, I want to try some like non conventional rice. You know, there's a lot of native rice varieties in the US. So,、mm. those are like extreme. You know, we are going away from the traditional sake brewing, but you know, here, here we can try like purple rice, black rice, blue rice, those kind of things. Oh, there, there's a lot of you know, creativities there. Well, As, as soon as we perfect our process with Calrose, yes, we'll start playing a lot with、uh, other ingredients.、Mm, right. Okay, so keep me posted and then、yeah. we'll discuss when you're ready.、Um, so, and you have a great tasting room、uh, by your new brewery. So, who,、um, well, first of all, how many seats, like how big is the tasting room? Because I want our listeners to stop by. <laughs> It's so exciting. Thank you. Thank you.、Uh, I don't know how many people we can fit.、Uh, we have a bar counter for 10 stools, and、uh, we have probably a seating area for like 20 people or so. And that's as big as our old brewery, including the production space. So for us, it's really big. But maybe if you compare with like typical breweries, we are not that big. So maybe like, you know, a smaller version of the beer brewery is the typical kind of. Scale that you can think of.、Mm, right. And also, the energy is、uh, kind of like a casual、uh, craft beer brewery tasting room. And、uh, it's so lively and it's fun and uh, open uh, feeling. Thank you. Yeah. So, who is drinking your sake at the tasting room? It's hard to tell, but people on the street just randomly stopping by.、Uh, and we have some regulars, but 
One thing I can tell is the average customers we have uh, here is not the sake connoisseur. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. That being said, they are not intimidated either. So they just come here to drink something good and, uh, you know, listen to a good music, enjoy the atmosphere, have a nice conversation with a bartender and uh, going for dinner somewhere or something like that. So it's very, yes, as you said, it's very casual. Mm. Right. So I just heard uh, something I was dreaming about, like sake as just a delicious beverage and uh, it's just like a glass of craft beer the same mm. idea well that's nice uh, cocktail you just have fun drink and with friends or whoever and that's what sake i think breweries want even the traditional sake breweries want that because at the end of the day uh, people want to drink good, good sake or good anything yeah and that's what you're doing. So <laughs> that's a great thing happening in Jefferson. Yeah, at least we have enough sake to serve right now. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, well, the, besides your uh, tasting room in Brooklyn, uh, where can we taste your sake? We currently have probably like 40, 50 accounts uh including restaurants, bars, and uh, liquor store. Uh, but most of them are still concentrated in Northern Brooklyn, like Greenpoint, Bushwick, uh, a little bit of the Williamsburg, and a little bit of Manhattan. So still we are kind of approaching this in a very local neighborhood by neighborhood approach. Mm. Right. Okay. So that's Jizake. <laughs> Jizake, yes. local sake idea which is cool okay and uh but you sell online too right you can just order online yes yes uh as long as you're in new york state yes you can order online mm, right so that's the thing it's a very complicated but uh hopefully you're going to cross the state line and uh, it's going to be available uh widely so, eventually eventually yeah, yeah. <laughs> right okay um so now we have three local sake breweries in New York, namely your place, Kato Sake Works, uh, Brooklyn Kura that you mentioned earlier, and uh, Dasai Blue, which is the Japanese uh, biggest exporter of sake, Dasai's uh, New York uh, fresh new brewery uh, just recently opened. So um, <laughs> it's, it's a real serious situation. And the American craft sake is becoming uh, local. So how do you predict the future of sake production in New York and in America? I, that, that's a good question. And then, you know, everybody asks me that, that question. Well, I'm more focusing on my day-to-day operation in this small neighborhood. So I don't know how much I can, I can tell about the, the industry itself. But I think, you know, the more players playing locally, producing sake locally, will definitely help. Mm. And, uh, you know, as, as a consumer, I enjoy traveling and finding a local craft makers and then, you know, go there, right? So now if you come tra- travel to Brooklyn, you have two locations to go. And there's, a you know, another reason to go upstate to enjoy sake in that side. 
So I think this trend continues, and, and I hope that this helps overall as an industry. But at, at the same time, uh, we discussed this before, but sake consumption in the United States is still like a tiny, tiny fraction of the anti-alcohol consumption, right? Mm. So oh, I think it, it will be more fun, I think. <laughs> Mm, right. And great thing is that uh, all of you, Kadosake Works, Pukunikura, and Dasebu, they are very, very different personalities. <laughs> and uh, I mean, now our listeners know who you are and what Kadosake Works is. But Brooklyn Kura is by two uh, cool American guys. Uh, they came to the show twice and discussed real philosophy. And, you know, it's a very, um, very authentic in a way to respect traditional Japanese sake culture and production, but their mindset is very, very surprisingly uh, open and very solid in execution. And that's why they're really successful. And Dasai is um, is a very solid corporate uh, business, but they're always trying to do something new and fun. And uh, uh, the president, current president, Kazuhiro Sakurai, came to the show um, earlier and it's exciting like it's going to be something new and fun and i think sake drinkers or any anything who like good drinks uh, alcohol non-alcohol it doesn't matter uh, there's going to be interesting uh, beverage culture waiting for us in the very near future so that's what i'm expecting and uh, i'm so glad we're able to expand your brewery because you're creating some local sake culture for sure Sure, yeah. All right, so um, here's an interesting question I had to ask you. So I remember that in episode 189, you shared your inspiring philosophy, which is not to make your life in an autopilot mode. Mm. So could you tell us about it again and uh, what are your plans and dreams for the future based on this philosophy? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think what we talked last time was you know sometimes if you're doing whatever you're doing for your life and you kind of master or at least you are on track to mastering what you're doing then eventually the life becomes autopilot so that you know you don't need to be on the cockpit but you know the plane goes to the destination without much effort and that's something that I fear the most because you feel so comfortable and then now you are not driving your life, but the life is driving yourself or something like that. So I think I wanted to do everything to avoid being autopilot. I think that's what I explained. Mm, yes, that's exactly yeah. so true. And I was inspired. And you actually <laughs> take actions like twice already. It's like, wow. Okay. Like, yeah, so now, yeah, now after <laughs> three years, I, I'm, I'm strongly hoping that if part of my life can be autopilot right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're in a roller coaster right now. <laughs> yes, it's, it's been a roller coaster for, yeah, past three years. And uh, still, still, we don't know where we are going. So, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate that you, you, introduce my story as a success story, but we don't know yet if we are still surviving after three years and making a great sake, maybe that's a success story. But as of today, we are still in the middle of, right. 
trying to to you know navigate through the turbulence. <laughs> mm. I think it's the, the accumulation of success every day, right? Rather than yeah. you just look back and then oh that was a success, which almost never happens in anyone's <laughs> life. So I think That's you've true. been successful every day, and uh, yeah, it's always whenever I I talk to you, I get so inspired. So thank you. <laughs> All right, so where can we find your updates online and on social media? Uh, please go to katosakeworks.com or Instagram at katosakeworks. All right, so good luck and uh, keep it posted. And uh, I mean, Yosake, again, it's just so approachable. And uh, I really enjoy uh, the casual, approachable style and with some elegance definitely uh, behind it. So, well, good luck. And uh, yeah, keep me posted. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. And thank you very much for having me. Thank you. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or akikotaema.com. And uh, Japanese is a weekly program and is always available at heritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify as a podcast. Engineer is Liam uh, Moana and thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Needs is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.